You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 155, featuring special guest Rob Ida of legendary Ida Automotive. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today we head to New Jersey to meet with Rob Ida in a shop that teams with expertise and automotive history. At Ida Automotive, incredible one-off projects are what distinguishes third-generation venture from others. Since their beginnings in the late 40s, Ida Automotive have been creating sensational builds spanning the full range from Willys to Tuckers, from Porsches to land speed record-holding machines. It's time to head to central New Jersey to immerse ourselves in automotive excellence. So, let's get wrapped up. Hello and welcome back, Cubers, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren. As always, we do appreciate you coming back. Good to have you here with us on this week's Audio Road Trip. Remember, this is your podcast. Together, it's all about car community, car culture. We are very excited for you to meet Rob and learn about all the amazing contributions his family has made to the automotive industry and hobby. They've completed projects like a ground-up Tucker Resto Mod recreation. They've worked on land speed vehicles, including uh, uh, of all types, uh, as well as being great supporters and friends to the AACA Museum in Hershey. In fact, did you know that Ida Automotive is currently displaying two cars in Hershey? One is the Gene Winfield Arden-powered 32 Ford Roadster, which that's a, a good point to last week's episode, which was focused on Lynn Paxton, who was talking all about the Arden Hemi. And the second vehicle at the AACA Museum that uh, the Idas have there is the formidable and quite unique Hemi Healy. We'll be right back. Reminded to all you Cubers, it's not a moment too soon to become a Cars of Carlisle subscriber and accelerate your experience. Leaving a five-star rating on iTunes, posting a five-star review, and sharing Cars of Carlisle with friends make you an integral part of the crew. Like what you hear? Support the cause with a quick click of the PayPal button on the main page of our website, carsofcarlisle.com. So act now. Take a look around, and let's hit the fast lane together. Okay, Cubers, it is time for this week's trivia challenge. Trivia question goes a little something like this. As you'll soon hear, the Ida family has had a long history with the Tucker 48, which we all know has uh, been referred to as the Tucker Torpedo, which at the time was a tremendously advanced vehicle. In the late 1940s, how many units did Preston Tucker and his company produce? That answer awaits at the end of this episode. Hello, Cubers, and welcome to you. We are in Morganville, New Jersey. In fact, a couple members of the crew are here on a Saturday morning. Rob Ida, thank you so much for opening up Ida Automotive on a day off, or really, it's essentially a day off. 
It is. Well, thank you. It's great to have you guys here. Yeah, we appreciate you making time on a, on a Saturday morning for us. We are in right now just behind the showroom, the, the office area. Uh, we're sitting at a conference table, and Rob, uh, we're going to do a walkthrough here in a few minutes, but really would love to hear about how you are. You represent the third generation. Your dad, Bob, has uh, been in and out of the shop today. He's got a lot of things going, so we may or may not get a chance to speak with him, but you're the, the representative. Um, let's, let's talk about projects in flight, but also maybe this is a good point to go back, rewind a little bit chronologically and how your grandfather started this all with the Tucker dealership. You want to want to start there? He did, yeah. So um, we're in central New Jersey, Monmouth County, in Murrayville, which I think is about a three-hour drive for you. That's about right. right, yes. Well, thanks for taking it. Of course. I appreciate that very much. It's great to have, have you both here. Um, we are about 45 minutes out of New York City, and uh, my grandfather uh, was um, set up in Yonkers, New York, 1948, with a dealership to sell the Tucker car. And uh, as we all know, if you've seen the movie, read the book, heard mm -hmm. the stories, Preston Tucker didn't have a whole lot of success, uh, success getting that car out to market. He did have some brilliant ideas. He had a car that had just the entire country mm -hmm. buzzing with excitement, enthusiasm. Um, and when it all you know, came down to it, he was able to make 50 cars and 47 or 48 of those cars are still accounted for and mm -hmm. exist today and uh, so the rarity the special appearance of the car the uh, the technology the ideas the enthusiasm all of that kind of remained um, as part of our family story you know my grandfather used to always tell us can you imagine if this car would have taken off yeah. if you know if it was if it was the success that we thought it would be maybe I would have dealerships all over New York City you know it was something like that and uh, so unfortunately it didn't go that way. Lots of people, um, you know, lost money. My grandfather lost money in his dealership, but he never lost that that love for the car mm -hmm. or the or the trust in, in Preston Tucker. And um, so I grew up on that on mm -hmm. that story. And, mm -hmm. and after that, kind of closed up, and he went on to a few other things, all automotive related in, in New York. And uh, my father grew up around that, you know, and, and he always loved loved cars, and he started building hot rods and race cars at a young age, like uh, I think at 14 years old, he started building his first one. And uh, and it's just become kind of like in our DNA, just mm -hmm. what we're all about, mm -hmm. we love cars. Mm -hmm. And um, so he kind of brought me up the same way. And, <laughs> and, I, and I always watched what he did in admiration, and lots of enthusiasm. So cars were always, always like, you know, the most important thing to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were always, excited about racing or show cars or restored interesting cars or even just fun cars that you can drive mm -hmm. on a daily basis. You mm -hmm. know, we don't really look at cars based on how much they cost or right. what, what the resale value is. Right. On it. I mean, that's, that's important in some ways and to a lot of people, but for us, I can be just as excited, and I am, I'm genuinely just as excited about a $5,000 you know, VW Beetle that I drive you know, daily or you know some multi-million dollar car that right. we're restoring you know uh, as correct as possible. The enthusiasm is the same because to me, so many cars have a certain thing about them yes. that makes them exciting to me. Well, I was excited when I pulled in and saw your your daily driver, your 997 Gen 911 out there. That's actually on one of my lists of the, yeah. you know, cars from my garage. I'm like, oh wow, that's right. Awesome. right. So I mean, I got very excited about that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So you get it, and, mm -hmm. and it's it's the same for me. Um, I. Uh, 
for some reason, it, it, I look for that one thing that every car has that's special and unique, mm -hmm. and I just try to understand. Capitalize that. on that. Yeah, and uh, like we have an MGA sitting over here that is, it, it makes like no power, and, <laughs> and it's not very valuable, but it's so great to look at. It it's is pretty. Cool and, it is and, pretty. Yeah. You know, it has a neat little sound to it, and, <laughs> and if you imagine driving that car, you know, around London, you know, where, oh, they, yeah. where the roads are small and you don't need a lot of horsepower. That's and you have right. This, this, Little nimble car. And, and, you, know, you look great doing it. Yeah, you, know? you look great doing it. <laughs> there, there's, there's a thing. The right behind it is a gigantic '57 Cadillac that is opposite in every way from that <laughs> MG. But it, to me, it's it's also thrilling for all right. di all different reasons. Right. And um, so that's what it is for, for us with, with cars. Is that you know we uh, we like them for all different reasons. Um, and uh, so our shop now is. Uh, you know, known for hot rods mostly. You know, we do a lot of custom hot rod type work, restorations of, of Tuckers, um, Porsches. Over here, you see a 57 mm. Porsche, mm -hmm. uh, 356 Coupe. That's set some land speed records. It okay. Four land speed records. Now, what Bonneville or where was it? Uh, ECTA. Okay. So it's on it's on pavement, not on salt. Okay. All right. And. Uh, we set long, uh, four land speed records with that car. Wow. I think that's got to be uh, six or seven years ago. But now the plan is to go back and beat some of our old records that we still hold. Okay. Did you pilot some of those? I did, yeah. yeah. Good for you. All four, yeah. Congrats, man. Thank you, thank you. Um, that's got to be thrilling. It is, yeah. And, <laughs> and to do it in a little tin can like that. Well, I just going to say, that's pretty much what it is. It is. So, like, if you've ever driven a Volkswagen Beetle at 70 miles an hour, it's, like, death-defying. It is. You know? <laughs> Imagine going 131 no, sir. In, a, in a very similar <laughs> no, type sir. car, you know. Uh, but, yeah, the car was well under control, and it did it well. Um, so we'd like to go back and beat those records. We're thinking that, you know, if we could find even just one horse, one mile per hour sure, more, sure. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. <laughs> uh, once you max a car out like that, it's pretty hard to make yeah. major improvements. So we can, we can find little advantages here and there. It does have a bigger engine now, um, different transmission. That's fun. So uh, we may find a little more horsepower, but that <laughs> results in, in speed, we'll find out. Sure. Um, so that's going to happen in uh, Loring, Maine, and I think July. Fun. So, you know, that's what is so cool about that car. And you know, if you look at that car, it has old paint on it. It's mm -hmm, not a, mm -hmm. it's not a, a perfectly restored mm -hmm. car like you see up in the showroom here. Mm -hmm. It has a bit of a patina to it, which I think yep. is appealing. Yep. And I think that's what that car um, you know kinda has to offer. It has it has that it has that, that look and that feel about it so that way uh, when you're you know, looking at the car, you're not expecting it to win a first place car show trophy. That's not its that's mission it's not, life. Not no, what it's about. No, like no. You, you can you can drive it. You can you can use it as much as you like. Uh, I raced it in the mud. I drag oh, raced wow. it. I took it on a hill climb. Um, I uh, I've done everything that you, you could do with that car. I think that's fine. You know, the other thing we wanted to do was uh, some ice racing. Oh wow! You know where they put spikes in the tires yeah, and they yeah. put a frozen lake. Holy cow! So that might that might happen. Sometime. It's almost a little bit of a rally flavor to it, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. we've done some rounds. So yeah, that's a great car. It's something that we, we really enjoy. That's fine. And, um, and so if we walk over the other side of the shop, you'll see, um, well, I showed you the wooden bucket. Mm -hmm. right? so yes. The wooden bucket there. That is a uh, three-dimensional, full-size wooden fixture mm -hmm. that is used for shaping body panels. So if we're going to make a car body or a fender or mm -hmm. 
component for, for the car's body. You need some kind of a reference. You need some kind of a shape, size, and, uh, and uh, as, as a target. Mm -hmm. you know? that's, that's how we know how to develop the, the contours of a body. So what you're looking at there is, is a, full, a fully shaped, full-size uh, buck of a Tucker Carioca. And a Tucker Carioca is a, uh, an idea that Preston Tucker had back in 1955. Preston Tucker moved to Brazil and he started to work on his new car and he called it the Carioca. Now the word Carioca is what we call a native of Rio de Janeiro. Never knew that until I started to get involved. We have listeners and friends actually in Brazil. So oh, that, that, I'm, this is going to be a really key point. Okay, yeah. so we'll, we'll connect with that. And hopefully, I'm pronouncing it properly. It's okay. I'm we're pronouncing it the way we do here. In they're friends. We're forgiven. Yeah. yeah, we're forgiven. <laughs> we'll probably hear that. I said. <laughs> uh, so, so that that car was was an idea of, of Preston Tucker's, and he always had these forward-thinking ideas. He was always one for not just the car itself but how the car is built, how it's sold, how it's presented. Mm -hmm. All of these things are, are yeah, such a business ideas. acumen. And I think if we, we compare that to uh, Elon Musk of today, mm -hmm. the Tesla, mm -hmm. I think the Tucker and the Tesla really kind of share a lot of, Great a lot of yeah. things. Great because, analogy. Yeah, it's not always just even about an innovative car, which mm -hmm. it is, mm -hmm. but everything surrounding it, all the business around The infrastructure it and yes. the charging stations. Right. You're exactly right. There's yeah. much more than the product yeah. itself. Yeah. So now, Elon Musk with the charging stations being built all over the country. How about Preston Tucker had an idea of uh, a loner engine. So if you had a Tucker 48 and you had an engine failure, instead of bringing it to the dealership, and now we have loner cars, right? But back then, mm -hmm. that wasn't a thing, mm -hmm. but he had an idea that the engine would drop out quickly and he would give you a loner engine and you'd be on your way. And you could still drive your car while your engine is being repaired. So I mean that was yeah that's cut I mean that's really out, well out of the box yeah. well out of the box and you know it's interesting because we have in the shop Tucker number ten thirty four it's that beautiful Walter blue Tucker mm -hmm. in, the, in that back corner mm -hmm. and uh, there are certain things about the, the way that engine was installed that we haven't seen on other Tuckers and then if you go and look on on my wall you see this big poster from nineteen forty seven or forty eight of the Tucker crew doing a demonstration of an engine swap. And I think that what they were trying to demonstrate there was how quickly you can change the engine in a Tucker. We think that there's a chance that the car in my shop is also the car on, on the wall from that image in wow. 1948 because of this unique uh, installation system that we found on the car. And I think they did it just uh, to, to kind of speed up the process mm -hmm. to make it mm -hmm. you know, go in and out real fast. Uh, like the engine mounts, or what, what, what unique about that particular? The engine mounts are the same as you find any of the Tuckers, but it has kind of these guide pins or, or these, these guides that are welded onto the chassis. Okay. So that if you were... Just channels in there. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so if you had the engine kind of close to position, mm -hmm. it would just find home. Gotcha. And without having to, you know, right. have people, a couple of people there trying to line it up carefully, mm -hmm. it kind of just finds home real quick. Gotcha. So like a, uh, like a simplified uh, fixture mm -hmm. for that to happen. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, Interesting to, to see that because mm -hmm. I think you know that was part of the uh, you know, part of the process of showing how quickly you, yeah. you can do this. Because I don't think the point that he was trying to make was how quickly the bolts go in the holes, mm -hmm. but I think that it comes out of the car with it's know, up and a simple lip, drops out, and, yeah, yeah and, and it comes out. So I, I think that's what he was trying to do to, to, to demonstrate that. That's cool. Um, 
Then you see the other tucker in there, which is an all bare metal right now. It's kind of cut up and really crude mm -hmm. looking. That is tucker number 1029. And tucker 1029 was one of the three that Preston Tucker personally owned. Mm -hmm. And uh, that car now is owned by Mark Lieberman of, uh, of Nostalgia Motoring in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And he's very well known for, for being a tucker uh, owner, restorer, uh, historian, collector, expert. Uh, he's, he's really a lot of uh, a lot of knowledge and a lot of resources when it comes to uh, the restoration of a Tucker. Mm -hmm. So we're happy to be working with him on that car. Um, we're also working with Preston Tucker's uh, great grandsons, Sean Tucker and, uh, and, and Mike Tucker. That's great. That's yeah. an honor. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, those guys are absolute experts when it comes mm. to either knowing or finding the original information that we need. On the restorations of these cars. So between Mark, Mike, and Sean, every time a new question pops up, which is amazing how often it does. I mean, to the most minute detail. Um, and you had mentioned the AACA Museum also being a, a good AACA partner in all that as is well. A, is, a, is a big resource. So every time there's a question, we ask the, the team, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. Sean, Mike, Mark. And they're able now to either go in their own. Uh, archives mm -hmm. or they go to the AACA mm -hmm. and the AACA in, in Hershey Pennsylvania is such a tremendous asset to, to what we do here because they have made it available to us to go in and see the blueprints these are the actual blueprints that Dave came back mm -hmm. found purchased and cataloged and eventually after he passed mm -hmm. he had it donated to the museum that information is priceless to us. So now we can go in and find the most minute detail. Mm -hmm. And now what do we do with it? Now how do we make that happen? Mm -hmm. And in modern times, we can go to all different types of things, whether it's CAD, machining, 3D printing, mm -hmm. going back in time and doing fabrication, whatever it takes, mm -hmm. whatever it takes to make that item as accurate as that blueprint tells us it should be. We're able to do mm -hmm. that, and uh, you know, in, in these days we have we have so many good resources, and we use um, social media to find mm -hmm. you know, to find people who can do great things. It, it's amazing to me how many people are so capable and so talented, and have these things that they can offer, and, and maybe they're doing it in their in their on their kitchen table, you sure. know, or maybe they're doing it after hours at work. But now they've become exposed, right. you know, to us, and, and we're exposed to them. We they have a connect. voice, essentially. Yeah, yeah. They have a voice, and we connect, and we love that. It's, it's, mm. it's been it's been great. Now, now, when I think how they used to do it, you know, oh, back yeah. in the back when Preston Tucker had to do this, yeah. how did he find how exactly. did he find anybody? He send a letter, wait a month, you know? Yeah, yeah, and send a letter to who? You know, <laughs> yeah, like, well, that's who, true. Who right. does he even know what to send that's a letter right. to? You know, now we can Google. We can we that's can, true. We, we can ask people, you know, in a second and, and get yeah. information. How did they do it back then? So I'm always impressed when I, when I look at what they did and how they did it. Well, I'm really want to bring up for the listeners too how you were showing us in the in the back. I think of uh, number twenty nine yeah. with the uh, the gel battery that looks just like. Right. Yeah, that's another resource that we got from from social media. We found someone. Uh, he goes uh, he goes by Jim's Batteries. He's in Ohio, and small company. Mm -hmm. So. We're not limited to just calling interstate mm -hmm. or somebody who's mm -hmm. going to be too big and too busy to help us. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to find somebody who has the ability, he has the knowledge and, 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 the, uh, and the resources 
to make something very custom. So we know what we want the battery to look like. We have a blueprint. Mm -hmm. We also know that we want it to perform as good as it can. And with modern technology, we can have a modern AGM battery built that looks the part. And it's better for the car owner because it's more reliable, it's easier to maintain, um, and, it's, uh, and it looks the part. I'm so impressed, yeah. yeah. So up until that point, what did we do? Well, we just found something that started the car, and, mm -hmm. and maybe that re now required modifying the battery box to have this green interstate battery in there. It didn't look right, but it starts the car, and that's mm -hmm. all we had at, right. our, at our disposal. Right. But now, look how far we can go. Yeah. And of course, these things take a lot of time. So if you wonder, why does a project like this take so many years to get done? Mm -hmm. That's why. Mm -hmm. Because every, every piece of that car is a project of its own. That's right. It's not just a car. It's a car that is built up of thousands of little tiny projects. Mm -hmm. And all those projects need to happen, and they all need to come together, and they need to, to um, work with the next piece of life. We're going to step away for just about 60 seconds, and then we'll return to our interview with Ida Automotive. Right now, we would like to proudly mention our official OEM sponsor, Porsche Mechanicsburg. In the market for a Macan, Cayenne, 718, or 911, Porsche Mechanicsburg will match you with the perfect vehicle from their extensive inventory of pre-owned and new models. When it comes to service on these magnificent machines, their record of quality workmanship is unmatched with a staff of mechanics whose prowess in all facets of Porsche engineering is world-class. These are all time-tested trademarks that have been part of the Faulkner Auto Group since 1932. 2021 will witness an expansion of their sales and service excellence with the now-completed new state-of-the-art Porsche Center. Located at 6625 Carlisle Pike, Porsche Mechanicsburg is the destination when ready to make that dream a reality, parked in your driveway. We are back to continue our interview with Rob Ida. That segues to a question I had, Rob. Yeah. How do you and, and your team manage all of that? I mean, do you do it collectively, just mentally? Do you have project plans? How, I mean, how do you keep all that straight, especially over the span of multiple years? It is very difficult. I imagine. Because we, we, we never really know up front how many sub-projects are going to be involved. Sure. And if we're dealing with a custom car, now we have new ideas that are popping up. Restoration is a little bit more black and white because we know what it needs to be and we know what we wanted to, to accomplish in the end. Getting there is sometimes you know, a zigzag, mm -hmm. depending on what that project needs to get done. Mm -hmm. But when we're dealing with something custom, custom is all about new ideas. And an idea generates yet another one, right. begets right. another. Yeah. Yeah. And unless you have a blueprint, you know, it's not like building something, like, like if you're building a house and you build the whole thing on paper first, and sure. you know every idea that's going to be but there. But scope creep, I mean, imagine there's a lot of scope creep in the sense of, well, I wanted this, but now I want suicide doors now. Correct. And so now you have to change everything around. Yes, and a lot of changes take place. And, and you know, when, when, you, when you embark on a project like that, you're saying, okay, I know what I, what I want this car to be. We know what we want it to look like on the outside. Mm -hmm. What goes in it? Mm -hmm. Now I showed you the 37 Chevy in there, and it is full of new ideas. <laughs> so uh, as I mentioned, no turn signal stop. Yeah. Right? It's all yeah. touch sensor yeah. with a laser that shuts it off. We didn't know we were going to do wow. that at the beginning of the project. But when you talk to the client about, hey, I have this new idea, what do you think? And then 
they say, yeah, yeah, I love it, I love the idea. Right. Well, now, how long is that going to take? I don't know, because we've never done it before. <laughs> right. So that, you know, takes all of your attention. You work on that wow. sub-project, and then there's, you know, a thousand more stories <laughs> like that that go into that car. Right. Uh, and that's what custom car building is, is really all about. It's, you know, it's kind of designing on the fly, mm -hmm. and, and, that's, and that's what it takes um, to make something that is that special. I showed you this 1940 work up in the front. Same thing. Oh, that's yeah. A, that's a seven-year build. Well, I was so impressed when you described to me that the, the front skirts actually, right. they rotate with the, right. with the wheels. So. so when you look at that car, one of the first things you notice is that kind of pontoon front fender. Mm -hmm. It's enclosed. You're not looking at the wheel um, with a skirt on it in, in the rear and then an exposed wheel in the front. You're looking at four closed fenders that give it kind of that very French look. Now, some of the French cars that had front fenders that were concealed, or front tires that were concealed like that, were very wide. And they exactly. did that so that you had room to steer the wheel within that fender. We didn't want to have these gigantic fenders on the car. Um, we wanted to keep it slim, yep. just like the, the back is, and, yep. and we want, want to maintain that shape, but yet still have close front fenders. So how do we go about that? Well, again, it's an idea that we didn't have when we first started building that car, but it's an idea that mm -hmm. kind of spoke to us. Mm -hmm. We had to act on it because mm -hmm. we look at it and we say, you know what, the car's asking for this. <laughs> That's right. The car needs this, it wants this. Um, Trust it into How it. do we do it? Yeah. Right? So, how do we do it? I don't know, but we have to come <laughs> up with a way. So, it's never been done before, or at least not that I know. So, now we have these fender skirts that are going to steer. So, we, we look at that and we say, okay, we don't need them to steer as much as the front wheel steers. Right. It only needs to steer enough to get out of the way to not contact the tire. Yeah. So what we did was that car runs rack and pinion steering for the wheels. And we put a second rack that only steers the skirts. Okay. Okay. And it works at a different ratio. So now the wheel is steering. Directly linked to the first. Right. But like, the, the, like, the, like you said, an offset ratio. Exactly. Okay. And I, I think it was like, uh, you know, now I can't remember what the ratio was. Mm -hmm. two, two and a half to one or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, so now the, the skirt moves just enough, it's about two inches, and it moves just enough mm. to not contact the tire. And, and it's brilliant. And, and yeah, it's brilliant. But um, lots of kind of on the fly engineering and designing mm -hmm. to make that all happen mm -hmm. in the real world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there it is. But to have something that's that special, you know, it, it can't be rushed. No. You, if, if we were to design a car on paper and have every nut and bolt figured out on that Mercury project from day one, it would not be the special car that it is now. It would have been Sterile. very standard. Yeah. Yep. It would have been a mail order type car. We yep. would have been buying parts from, from vendors mm -hmm. and, and putting it together. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that, mm -hmm. but that's not what mm -hmm. this customer wanted from this car. Mm -hmm. And that's how we were able to get there. Mm -hmm. and, and he was the type of a customer um, who we always considered him, you know, a patron of the arts. He was, mm. he was right there, always when a new idea came, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right behind you. Mm -hmm. you know, let's do it. Let's mm -hmm. do it. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, projects like that are, are, are wonderful, but you can never really tell, you know, how long sure. they're going to take or right. or how much money they're going to cost, really, because it's it's not uh, it's not figured out from day one. No. Yeah. And then when we walk through the shop, we'll see other things like this um, Jaguar, the E-Type Jaguar. It's a uh, a 1969 E-Type, 2 plus 2. So if you know what a 2 plus 2 looks like, it's not the most desirable of the E-Type Jaguars. It's longer, it's like 9 inches longer in the door. 
and they did that so you can get a rear seat and have passengers and you know look there's always that balance there's always the balance between the artist what the artist and the designer of the car wants and what the engineers need to do to make it function and then what they need to do to make it marketable and 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 sell it and and mass and profitable so there's a lot of factors that go into producing a car that you intend to sell to the world here in this little shop of ours we could kind of lean more toward the artistry of it because we know that we're not trying to put one in every garage Um, this particular jaguar is being kind of shrunken down on the inside for the good of the aesthetic and that's what the customer wants she does not plan to put people in the back seat so it did not need to be this nine inch longer platform um, i love how you cut the wheelbase too yeah so we, we shortened the wheelbase nine inches from a two plus two which puts it back to the wheelbase of a, of a like a series one jaguar the earlier car uh, but really where the where the um, where the door opening is got longer so the door is longer than a series one shorter than a two plus two um and the wheelbase is the same so that's where you, you kind of get the aesthetic uh advantage from is the proportions what really the magic on that car is the roof so we tipped the windshield back we brought the roof down now marcy uh is the owner of that car and she had this vision and she went to jeff allison who's a designer and together they worked on the design of that car before i was even involved and normally on these cars here i have a heavy hand in the design work um that car was designed completely out of uh, before i even knew about it it was done and designed on paper and um she brought that to me and asked if i'd be interested in building the car and of course my quick answer is well usually i like to you know design my own stuff and then i looked at that and i said oh well that's probably better than i could have designed so yeah <laughs> let's do it um so it's been a great project we've we've made um, you know lots of the body panels um and it's been a uh, it's been a project that we're all kind of on the same page there hasn't been a whole lot of changing really i mean slight changes from the drawing which of course is going to happen but for the most part we love the drawing so much that we're, we're using that as, as our target um Another thing that we feel strongly about, at least on that Jaguar project, is you know you want to, when you're going to customize a car, you have to be very careful not to hurt the original design. You want to improve it. I mean, that's our goal. Our goal is to make it better. It needs to be recognizable. It needs to be recognizable, and don't change it if you're not improving it. So a lot of people want to just go in and cut and weld just for the fact because that they know how to cut and weld. That's not what we're about. We want to either improve it or leave well enough alone we don't need to go in and just change things because that's what we know how to do Um, yeah so a lot of times we won't make any changes to a car if we feel that it's perfect Uh, but these jaguars uh, a lot of people have said that enzo ferrari called the jaguar e-type the most beautiful car in the world i've heard heard it i don't know that he actually said it I, I find it hard to believe that he would, yeah. but that's... He was a very proud man. He was a proud man. So I, I would, I'd be surprised if he actually did say that. Right. But I've heard it many times, and a lot of people do kind of agree that it is a beautiful car. And uh, the E-Type Jaguar, I never really looked at it as something that needed a lot of mm-hmm. change. I would love them. You know, I loved how they were. And when I saw that drawing, I said, oh, my God. I'd, yeah. that now I really love it. It's almost yeah. like, it looks like a bullet. Like a bullet. Yeah. Of course, if jaguar tried to pull that off it 
they couldn't sell one because it, it's not practical. It's it's too small, you know, for for the average buyer to uh, you know to have. It's it's really too small for that. But it looks great. So it goes back to my point. You know, in a custom car world, you can you can kind of change that balance of practicality and, and usefulness. Lean to, to that artistic side. Lean, lean more toward the artistic side. The engineering we like to keep intact. We like to have the car so that it does function and that it does you know certain things that. Uh, you know, we expect that of a car, sure. um, but this car, I think, is is all about the uh, the aesthetic. So going in, doing doing your research, kind of finding what's so special about these cars. I've seen Jaguars that are that are um, equipped with like a, a modern Corvette engine. I, I don't get that. I, I don't. I I know that the Corvette engine is a great engine. I use them in certain things. Um, that Chevy in the back has a has an LS Corvette engine. Works great in that car. Mm-hmm. But look what it's replaced. You know, it replaced you know the old stove bolt. You know, which isn't going to be the, the best performing engine. But in this Jaguar, that engine is a piece of artwork. I mean, it is like jewelry. It is gorgeous, and they sound great. Mm-hmm. And I would say the only thing that you really could complain about on on that six cylinder dual overhead Jag engine with the SU carbs on it is the reliability of the carburation. So we've taken that into consideration. We have triple SUs that have been converted to electronic fuel injection. So now it has modern reliability and better performance. Sure. And and now I think we're gonna have an engine that should look the part, mm-hmm. sound the part, mm-hmm. and start up when you ask it to. Right. And right. that's, to me, you know, the, 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 the right thing to do with a car like a Jaguar that has that kind of heritage, you know, and, and, uh, and, and that appeal. Comes back to what you said is that, that tenant that you yes. took, you respected, but just improved for the modern day. We did, right? And, and and we didn't hurt the aesthetic by doing it. Not it's a all. hidden fuel injection, so you can't even tell it's there. No. You look at it, and it's got all that beauty and charm yeah. that a Jaguar E-Type should have. Yeah. And and we do like to appeal to the hardcore fan. So when you look at my shop, you're looking at a Cadillac and a, mm-hmm. and a Porsche over there and a Tucker and a Chevy and a Gasser and a race car. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's a lot of different audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different... Um, you know, like subcultures within our, our yeah, 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 subcultures, right? Mm-hmm. So some people look at these cars as a religion. So like the gasser back there mm-hmm. has to appeal to the guy who doesn't even know what a Jaguar is because he only cares about gassers <laughs> and he knows everything about gassers and he knows what they should look like and he even knows the history of them. We want to appeal to that guy when we're building a gasser. Right. You know, right. we don't want to kind of water it all down so that they all look alike and yeah. we call one a gasser just because it's high in the front, but it's really the same thing as the one that's low in the front. Right. And, you know, no, we want that car to be uh, appealing to the, to the hardcore yeah. fanatic of that genre of car. And that's what we try to do. And um, so really with this Jaguar, I want for Jaguar people, which most of them are going to be purists, Mm -hmm. to look at it and say, oh, I would never cut up a Jaguar. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I think I kind of like it. You know, that's what that's what I would like to see happen with a project like that. Um, of course, some people are going to just automatically right go for that was blasphemy. You can't cut one of those cars up. That'll always be there. And, and, and I understand that. I get it. But for the open-minded, real enthusiast who really loves that brand, loves that car, loves that model, I want him to be able to look at it and say, yeah, you know what? I, I, I think I, I like this. Even though I'm not supposed to like it, I think right. I do. Right, you know? right. And um, so that's, that's kind of what we have in mind with everything that goes into that project. So the screw that we use in that car 
is going to make sense on a Jaguar, mm -hmm. but wouldn't make sense by using that screw in that in that gasser. We know what that hardware should look like, right. and we know that that hardware is different than that hardware. Yeah. And um, so we try to keep that in mind with, with all the projects that we have in here. Tucker number 1029 that you saw in there, that's, that's, um, that's a, a very special car. That car was brought to Indy by Preston Tucker in, uh, you know, I don't know the year that he took it to Indy uh, off the top of my head. Um, Sean and Tucker would know, uh, Sean and Mike Tucker would know that. Um, but I think what's so important about that car is that there were certain things done to it that initially we thought were incorrect. We thought somebody did this somewhere along the line, like, you know, they needed to make a change for whatever reason. And as it turns out, Preston Tucker and his team actually made these changes and are documented. That information exists there at the AACA. So thank God they didn't get thrown away. You know, they, they, were, they were maintained, and then they'll, they'll be, as part of the restoration, go back to that car and remain part of its story. Um, so thank God we have that that uh, information available to us because it could have just been thrown in a trash can right. and we would have thought wow somebody just cobbled up some exhaust pipes right. and uh but we know what they what they should look like you know he was testing it he, he did it yeah he did it so he had six individual pipes on that one six mufflers six pipes no uh no, no balance so there was no connection between the cylinders every cylinder had its own complete exhaust right out the car and one thing that he did say early on was that he wanted to have the ability to see where if you developed a miss a cylinder miss in your engine which one it was because each pipe yeah. sp speaks for itself um so maybe that's why he did that you know or maybe he was looking for more horsepower or change in sound sure. don't know what his goal was in doing that but he, he did he did do it and he documented it so that's going to remain part of that uh part of that car um pretty pretty special that one one to be a part of yeah. yeah yeah so we hope that um that car maybe will be seen at some point in the AACA. You know, uh, I, I know Mark is Mark, the owner, uh, Lieberman. He is a, uh, a a part of the museum, so it's probably a pretty good shot that it might, I imagine you so. know, make an appearance there one day. That'd be so. super exciting to see it amongst the other cars in the collection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're yeah. we're big big friends and fans of the AACA. Yeah, yeah, we're it's such a great it. organization. I I always recommend that anybody who who comments on our on our social media post, Tucker related or you know come to the shop or whatever i recommend go there mm -hmm. you know go there more than one time you know even if even if you have to fly across the country do it do it it's worth it it really is worth it if you any have really any interest in these cars it, it is so well done you know you can you can spend a full day there and want to go back for more you know it's it's really that that well presented so uh here here yeah we agree well any i want to give you final say this has been Great interview. Really appreciate you giving time of your Saturday and, and walking us to the shop and, and describing everything. Uh, you guys are doing amazing work. I really appreciate Thank you. just your approach to things. Thanks. Um, you have the final final time behind the wheel. So whatever you want to share, <laughs> whether it be how to find you guys okay. on your social media, whatever. Yep. You have, uh, you have the wheel. Okay. Take well, it away, Rob. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. The best way, I think, to kind of follow the projects are um, through social media. Instagram, I think, is my, is my favorite move. Uh, I have uh, my account is Rob underscore Ida. That's R-O-B underscore I-D-A. And that's on my Instagram. And I also have a, a, a shop Facebook uh, page, and I update that as well. So either one of those, Ida Automotive on Facebook or Rob underscore Ida on Instagram is a good way to um, 
kind of follow along what we're doing. And I try to make posts as often as, as I could. Um, one thing that you'll find with the posts is that, you know, they're they're down and dirty. You know, whatever's going on here in the shop or whatever we're up to, whether we're at, at, a, at an event or here, actually making the transfer you know, the car. yeah yeah just we show it off and um hopefully uh, you know people like that and uh i mean i sure like it i i, I i'm able to go through people's work from across the world that i never would be able to see and, and i love being able to go there and see what they do it's it's inspiring for me to see that and and helpful and and i hope that some of the posts that we make help help other people and uh, and i think it's a good way to share knowledge and and share inspiration Thank you to you and your dad, Bob, and, and uh, like to continue staying in touch with you guys and, and help promote as you go through these great new projects. That would be great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Rob. Welcome back anytime. We are back to Studio A. Thank you so much to Rob and Bob Ida for welcoming us into their very special shop. So honored to be friends with Ida Automotive. Would love to have them back on this program and we'll plan to talk to them again very soon. All right, friends, it is time to lift off the throttle and coast into this week's trivia answer. If you recall, at the beginning of the show, I'd ask, in the late 1940s, how many units did Preston Tucker and his company produce? And that answer is 51 vehicles. Now, that even includes their prototype. Uh, so 51 vehicles produced in total up until the point that the company itself had to close and shut her up on March 3rd, 1949. And that was uh, the ceasing of operations was due to bankruptcy and all kinds of uh, very public um, situations happening with the SEC and, and some other things going on, uh, allegations. So uh, unfortunately, that company uh, met its demise very, very soon. But I'm sure everyone's very familiar. Just some of the, the features that went into the Tucker 48 then found their way into more modern vehicles and uh I looked through and, and doing some wiki research, uh, thought some of these are the more distinguishing elements. The fact that it had a very low revving 589 cubic inch engine, uh, it had uh, hydraulic valves with it, and as well as fuel injection. The fact that instead of a transmission, there were direct drive torque converters on each of the uh, rear wheels. The vehicle itself came with disc brakes, which was uncommon and unheard of at the time self-sealing tubeless tires, um, had independent springless suspension, and some really safety-conscious features too, such as a padded dashboard well before its time. Uh, the chassis itself was designed to protect the occupants in any form of a side impact. It had a roll bar integrated into the roof for any form of a, a rollover crash. And with that too, they had a laminated windshield that was, was created so that it could be popped out in the event of an accident. So, and just the styling cue that we all know, that, that center Cyclops headlight, so cool to the fact that whenever the steering wheel um, was turned and, and the angle steering angle was more than 10 degrees, the Cyclops headlight would actually swivel or pan left and right accordingly, which then helped visibility, especially at night driving and going around a blind corner. Uh, and, and the fact, just little things too, such as the, the ergonomically minded placement of the, the instruments and uh, the controls and levers all within the, either the diameter of the steering wheel or easy reach of the, of the hand position on the wheel. So uh, really forward-thinking design for the time. Cubers, we are back to the home garage and really at the end of this week's road trip. So we'll be looking for you again next Tuesday because together it's all about car community, car culture. 
For now, I'll sign off with drive well, be well, take care.